It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. All right, everyone. Happy Labor Day weekend. Ashley Frasca here with you. Green and Growing on 95.5 WSB. Yeah, even though it's a holiday weekend, gardeners don't ever take a holiday off. And especially this time of year, I can't wait. I get excited about transitioning out of summertime into fall. A lot of you are thinking about those cool season crops you want to grow. And I've got just the guest for you. I am really excited to have Rebecca Sears on with me. She lives in the new, new uh, Northeast area, but of course, very familiar with gardening, seed starting, works for Fairy Morse. A lot of you know that seed company helping gardeners. They've depended on their seeds for over 150 years. So Rebecca, welcome to Georgia and welcome to Green and Growing. Hi, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Now, what are some of the things that you have experience with and that you're passionate about as a gardener? You know, long before I started working for Perry Morse, I was a home gardener myself and uh, went through all the trials and tribulations of trying to figure out what to start with, what to plant, how to take care of them. So for me, I'm really passionate about helping gardeners be more successful. There's just so much information out there in the world It's hard to figure out what's what and and what you need to do to just get going. It can be intimidating. And I think, you know, when you and I first spoke, I was kind of telling you that I want to get my audience into gardening and get them over the hump of, oh, I'm afraid to try that. I'm afraid to waste money. They say, I don't have a green thumb. I have a brown thumb. No, you don't. You got to start somewhere, right, Rebecca? Absolutely. And I think, you know, part of the joy of gardening is really the learning process of it. And it's, you know, going through those ups and downs, the trials and tribulations, and then ultimately the big rewards. Um, there's so many positive things about gardening. It's, it's great for your health, uh, both from a physical standpoint, getting out there, being active, as well as your mental health, too. The studies have shown that gardening is, is super helpful for re- relaxation and alleviating anxiety. Um, and what's interesting is that, you know, during the pandemic, 18 million gardeners joined uh, the gardening community in the U.S. alone. So there's a lot of people out there right now that are trying to figure it out and are looking for help. I love that. So we were kind of in the middle of the pandemic this time last year. So maybe folks are still a little overwhelmed, but this could very well be a lot of my listeners first fall doing gardening, right? And cool season crops. So here in Georgia, from the University of Georgia Extension Office, you know, some of those cool season crops that we're still able to do, beets and broccoli, cabbage, thinking about calling that mustards. I mean, I absolutely love that. So Fairy Morse, with all of the seed that you guys have, a really reliable way to start your own plants. Talk to us about being most successful in picking out the right seed and how we start it. You know, it's funny. A lot of people don't think about fall as the time for gardening, maybe just because there's not as many things in the stores available. But it's actually a great time to start. For one thing, you've probably already done the hard work uh, in spring to get everything all set up. So fall is really almost like a bonus round, you know. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) a lot less work to do, but just all the same reward. And when you're thinking about fall plants, you want to make sure that it's things that can last through some of the cooler temperatures later in the fall. Um, And there are plants that are great for that. So when you're thinking about vegetables, it's cabbage, it's cauliflower, it's broccoli. And when you're thinking about flower plants, some favorites are pansies and phlox. Um, Pansies and phlox, interestingly, can even last through a little bit of snow. Uh, You just need to water them afterwards to make sure that they get rehydrated and come come right back up. 
So there's, there's a number of plants out there that are great. Um, and we've actually developed a, a specific list of live plants that can help you out too called our Plant Links Program. Um, and those are all perfect for fall planting. Now, and is it still important, you know, in, in summertime, we're thinking about marigolds around our vegetables to maybe detract or repel some, some things, but also things that the pollinators are attracted to, you know, to bring them to our garden to really help move that pollen around. Are we still kind of thinking in that same vein? I mean, and pansies probably maybe aren't the best for pollinators, but what, what do you recommend having around the fall vegetable garden? So I think there's a couple things to think about. Um, The good news is that fall, there's a little bit less pressure. So, you know, some of the flea beetles and things that really uh, can eat up your early spring garden, those are for the most part gone, but there are other things that are still around, some Japanese beetles and things like that. So um, it is great to plant perennials at this time of year. Perennial flowers typically bloom your second year. So if you can get them started in fall, you're going to have some great flowers that following season. And some that are particularly great for pollinators are butterfly weed, bee balm, uh, black-eyed Susan, bachelor button, echinacea, which is also known as as coneflower. Those are some great things to plant to bring in those pollinators and and make sure that they're they're doing um, what they need for your garden and also you're providing a great habitat for them. And I'm glad you mentioned that, Rebecca, because like, you know, less heat, of course, the weather's cooling down. But yeah, a lot less weeds and a lot less bugs to deal with in the fall. So those are three advantages right there of fall gardening. Um, And you talked about some of these cool season crops. They're a little more frost tolerant. Um, How many of them, if not most, can actually survive in those colder temperatures, even down to what, the teens and 20s? Yeah. So um, you want to be starting these types of plants now. And what they can do is they'll typically harvest right before the worst of the frost starts. So they can, they can manage to survive some, uh, we call them soft frost, if mm-hmm. you will, where the, the ground doesn't harden solid. So this is a good time to plant those. Um, and they're also, you know, unlike some other things like tomatoes and peppers that really don't like the cold, these guys like it. Um, so you can, you can give them a, a good healthy start in the fall and they'll do just great. Now, what are some of your personal favorites, fall crops that you have just found really low maintenance, really easy, and you, you get an abundance of them? For me, I think kale, if you like kale, uh, fall is a great time to grow it. It loves this, this cooler weather um, in September and October. Uh, you know, once the, the, they, they enjoy the heat to get started, and then they enjoy the cooler temperatures later in the fall. Um, and it produces an abundance. It's actually uh, a great plant for beginners. It's, it's super healthy. Uh, in terms of the vitamins and minerals that it delivers to you. And at the same time, it's, it's hard to mess up. <laughs> so that's a particular favorite of mine. Um, I also love to grow broccoli and cauliflower, and I have a tougher time doing that in the spring because there's so many insects in our area. But now's a good time to, to really pick up the broccoli and cauliflower and get it going because there's a little bit less pest pressure, as I mentioned earlier. Um, and then I also like to grow a number of flowers this time of year um, that are also vegetables. So ornamental cabbage and ornamental kale, those do great for the same, same reasons. And they're also absolutely beautiful pops of color. And again, those two can last through a little bit of frost in the winter. I love that. I mean, almost foolproof. You just don't have to tend to the garden as often 
this time of year going into fall as you as you do in the summertime you know being a lot more conscientious then about regular watering and things like that we have much more dependable weather i would say in the fall and rebecca if you know anything about georgia summers it's all over the place you know it could rain every day for 16 days we could have a drought we could have a dry spell so fall gardening now talk about um a seed packet i know this seems basic rebecca but there is so much information on a seed packet that that lends the gardener to precisely the right direction, almost foolproof in such a way. When you turn that over and you've got the seed of the vegetable that you want to start, um, you know, the timing on sowing that indoors, right, and giving it enough time to become a little seedling to then plant outside, which right. we want to do before the frost. But what are some of those key things we're looking at on that seed packet, the things that are really important? One of the key things to take a look at are days to maturity. And basically that tells you from the time you either plant the seed or transplant, uh, depending on whether you started it indoors or not, and then ultimately when that flower or vegetable is going to come to fruition in a fruit, vegetable, or a flower. So that gives you a good sense for, okay, if I start this in August and it's 45 days to maturity, this is about when I'm going to be able to get that harvest. Um, So that gives you a nice idea of, um, you know, how much time it's going to take to produce the end result. And it'll also give you a nice idea of, okay, do I have enough time to start this before a hard frost if it's a less cold tolerant uh, product? So I think that's a really important one to take a look at. The other thing to take a look at is the spacing instructions. I think a lot of new gardeners get super excited about starting (laughs) gardening and, you know, they sow a lot of seeds and and then maybe don't weed it out later or, or thin it out later. And it's a good idea to take a look at how much space a plant actually needs so you don't cram them together too much because then they end up competing with each other for sun and for food and for water. So you want to pay close attention to that too. And what about the, you know, the, the days are shorter. We have less sun in, in the colder, colder months. So how key is that sunshine and still making sure that we have a sunny spot? Like in summer, you are going for the sunniest spot you can find, man. You need eight or nine hours at least. But fall, is that as big of a factor or not so much? What do you think? Well, sun's still really important, and you want to make sure that um, you're selecting the right plants from your areas based upon how much sun you have in that spot and if it's a part shade or a full sun type of plant. So if it says full sun on your seed packet, you want to make sure you have at least six hours of sun in that area. And same goes for herbs. Anybody thinking about growing herbs, I mean, that's so important. That's why when you have those kits in the kitchen, you need that sunny kitchen window. But uh, what are some of the herbs that do really well from seed, Rebecca? Basil's a great one. Mm -hmm. Um, Basil grows easily, uh, especially for a beginner gardener. This is a great one to try. It's, um, you know, they tend to germinate really well and they come up fast. So you'll get an early reward for your efforts. Um, cilantro is another one I love. Cilantro, uh, so important for a great salsa, right? Um, and cilantro comes up easily and it gives you, a, you know, a great fragrant bouquet pretty early on. And then dill is another one too. If you are newer to gardening, I'd suggest maybe wait till you get your, you know, your feet underneath you a little bit more before you try like a rosemary or a lavender, which is a bit tougher to get started from seed. Yeah, and a rosemary, you know, more of a woody herb. So once you have some success with that, that can be a perennial and kind of stay with you. Uh, Fairymorse.com is the website I want you guys to check out. F-E-R-R-Y-M-O-R-S-E. Rebecca, the type A 
really organized person in me loves the alphabetical list when you click vegetables, <laughs> herbs, and fruits. It's like, it's so beautiful. And there's so many vegetable seeds that we can pick from. I mean, the, the options are endless. Yes, that's part of the fun is really just imagining um, and planning out your garden and deciding what you want to grow. Now, when we come back, I want to take a quick break. we got to check on traffic because Atlanta traffic can be nuts even on a Saturday morning and weather. And then come back to you, Rebecca Sears from Ferry Morse. Um, I have a couple of questions. One about best place in the landscape to maybe start some of these cool season vegetables. And also a question always on gardeners' minds, seed storage. So can you hang on for just a few minutes? Sure thing. Happy to. All right. Love it. You're listening to Green and Growing. It's Ashley Frasca and Rebecca Sears with me. My guest for this Saturday will be right back. 95.5 WSB. It's Scott Slate. Did you know you can listen to Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca on Saturday mornings on your smart speaker? And me too, weekday mornings. Just tell your smart speaker, play 95.5 WSB. And we're on 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's news and talk. Here's Ashley. The update on your weather brought to you by Finley Roofing. And guys, I am back with Rebecca Sears from Ferry Morse. You can check them out. A seed company that has been known to gardeners for over 150 years. Ferry Morse, M-O-R-S-E dot com. And Rebecca, one of the two questions I had for you in our time left together, uh, folks asking me, they've got these great containers that they enjoyed on their decks and patios with tomato plants and pepper plants over the summer. And they still have that good soil, maybe add some, you know, amendments to it. What things would you advise that would actually be successful in those containers? Herbs. Oh, Our herbs yeah. do wonderfully in containers. I like to have them near my door so I can just run out there, cut a few things, and bring them in um, for, for different recipes and things. And you can also bring them in the winter if you need to, and they'll, they'll stay right there with you throughout the winter, which is nice. From the vegetable plant side, certainly things like kale, again, that's power vegetable, right? It <laughs> yeah. does well in, in almost any setting. <laughs> Lettuce and spinach, too, so grow those in containers, and they'll do wonderfully. And you can keep on harvesting those outer leaves, and it'll keep on growing for you. Um, Some things like root vegetables, so just make sure that you have a container that's deep enough. So carrots, for instance, they really don't like to have their tap roots disturbed. So just make sure you have a container that's deep enough so those roots can keep on growing down. And those will do well for you, too, in a container, which is nice. And onions, too. I mean, man, I tried those. And, I mean, you're going to take up that container for a number of months if you even try to grow an onion. So maybe not that. That's just going to kind of be stagnant for you. Well, I like those recommendations. Um, And quickly, before I let you go, Rebecca, a lot of questions from my listeners about seed storage, right? So if we have that great fairy morse envelope and there's still some seeds left in it, um, general recommendations, do we just keep it in the envelope or do we need to transfer them to a jar, refrigerator? What say you? Well, in my opinion, it's absolutely fine to keep them in the envelope. And I like to do that just so I keep those directions on there and it makes it easy to remember what's what. But the key to making sure that your seeds last is keeping them in a cool, dry place. Of course, there's a lot of debate of to refrigerate or not. I personally refrigerate. (laughs) So I put them in a a nice airtight container, put them in the fridge, and they're just fine the next year. Uh, An important thing to know is that some seeds save better than others. So tomatoes, for instance, those can last you as long as five years, sometimes uh, even more. Uh, But other seeds like parsnip, for example, that's really a one-year seed. Its health declines really quickly, so you want to make sure you buy those every year. Whether or not seed starting sounds intimidating, y'all have the plantlings line now where baby plants can be obtained by gardeners that are just ready to go and pop them in the ground. Um, how can folks find out more about that? 
Sure, you just come right to ferrymorse.com. That's F-E-R-R-Y-M-O-R-S-E. We have a separate section at the top you just click on to learn more about plantlings. And a lot of your things are at pikenursery.com as well, too. Rebecca Sears, this has been a really enlightening conversation, and I so appreciate your expertise and your time in uh, talking with us and giving us some great tips today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was great to be here. Thanks so much. All right, folks, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back. You're listening to Green and Growing on 95.5 WSB. Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. It's that time of the morning. We have half an hour to go on Green and Growing. Really glad you are here on a holiday weekend. And you know who else is here? Charles Lampkin from the Marietta location of Pike Nursery. Good morning, Charles. Good morning, Ashley. It's going to be a busy weekend in the nursery, I bet. You're on holiday weekends, on long weekends. Do you find folks shop a little more often? I'm really excited about this weekend. We're supposed to have some beautiful weather, and we're right in time now to start getting some uh, some ideas about planting some shrubs, maybe even some grasses. But I think what we want to talk about today is some uh, colorful fall foliage. Yeah, and that is just so perfect because in the second hour of the show today, just after seven o'clock, I interviewed Buddy Lee and you know, he is the father and the founder of the Encore Azalea. So that got me thinking, you know, who does not want an Encore Azalea in their Southern landscape? So these are great ideas, colorful shrubs, not only, you know, for fall and autumn color, but to complement azaleas. So where do we begin? What do y'all have in stock? So if we're, if we're going to start with Encore Azaleas, let's start with some, uh, some sun-loving shrubs Um, because we know those encores unlike other azaleas require a good bit of sun so we're going to start off with a lovely shrub called abelia Um, there are numerous varieties out right now i think two of your most popular are going to be the kaleidoscope my favorite variety your twist of limes twist of mangoes are all going to give you wonderful fall foliage and they're in bloom right now um, but as soon as they're done with their blooming you're still going to have a continuous uh, attraction with the plant. Oh, Kaleidoscope Abelia, that's a showstopper right there. Okay, what about one that's a little different? It's not green, but it's like a deep purple. Oh, so let's jump right over to Laura Petalum then. Again, over the years, there are 10, 20 varieties um, of Laura Petalum uh, growing all the way from only one to two feet all the way up to 10 feet plus. Wow. Um, some of your more popular varieties, your Crimson Fire, Purple Daydream, Purple Diamond, are all going to stay relatively under that four feet in height, which a lot of people are looking for right now. But if you're looking for a taller hedge, your Ruby Lorapetum, which is one of our proven value plants, actually, will get you six feet and taller. All right. And what else do we have as far as colorful shrubs that could look really good next to an azalea? For a nice hedge behind an azalea, we are really big fans of uh, the shrub called Cliera. Um, what's very popular about this is kind of replaced the red tip Fetonia that was very popular in the 90s because um, it does with its new growth. It gets a really nice shade of red on its new growth. So by keeping it tip pruned through spring and summer and into fall, you'll get that really nice glossy red foliage on top that, that complements the deep green of those azaleas very well. Up next, a, a really colorful and popular uh, shrub for your fall landscapes and even in the winter 
is your firepower in Andina. It goes from that really lime fluorescent green in the spring turning to a deep fire engine red. And to play along with that red theme as well, we have a deciduous uh, shrub. Uh, it's a variety of viburnum, oh, yeah. and it's more commonly known as burning bush. And it can make a really, really big statement in your yard. You can hedge it. You can let it get, you know, well up to four, five, six feet tall. Beautiful, beautiful red foliage before the leaves fall off for winter. Yes, viburnum, burning bush, that's another good one. And lastly, um, you know, hydrangeas, while the blooms may be done, one variety in particular, your oak leaf hydrangea or hydrangea quercifolia, it's going to give you a really awesome uh, red, really deep red color when its foliage turns in fall. The leaves hang on for a really long time, and it really makes a nice complement in a fairly shaded area. Perfect. So we've got Abelia. We visited Laura Pedlum. Ranges, those are all great shrubs for fall color. Best time to plant those, Charles. I'm, I'm saying now. Yeah. <laughs> but we, we have a long planting season, luckily, here in Georgia. Um, so we have now October, even into November with a lot of your shrubs. Anything deciduous uh, that's going to drop its leaves for winter, you can actually plant those well deep into the winter as well. And if we're looking for seasonal work or maybe even just a part-time or a full-time job now, are you guys hiring? We sure are. And uh, we can't be more thankful enough for our seasonal help to get us through the busy seasons. You know, spring is over, but we're gearing up for fall, for pumpkins, and later on a uh, a lot of Christmas trees, too. So you can come right into the store, ask for one of our managers, and we'll be more than happy to sit down and talk with you and hopefully get you on one of our teams. So no need to be sad that some of the summer annuals and our favorite flowers and vegetable garden colors are starting to fade soon. We've got some colorful shrubs for you. Just listed them off. You can find them at pikenursery.com or, of course, in the stores. Charles Lampkin over there at Marietta. Have a good holiday weekend, my friend. Well, thank you so much, and you do the same. And now, welcoming to Green and Growing for the first time, Mary Carol Sheffield. A lot of you live out in the Paulding County area. You know her. She is the Paulding County Extension Coordinator out there. And Mary Carol, I reached out to you for a very specific reason. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks, Ashley. I'm happy to chat with you this morning. Now, this is a doozy, Mary Carol, because like I have had friends in the western suburbs. They were kind of the first ones to alert me to this about a week, week and a half ago. And that's why I found you as the expert, because y'all are getting a lot of calls about none other than army worms. Does this year seem to be a lot worse than other years that you can recall? It does, and this is my 17th year as an extension agent, and this is the year when I've heard the most reports about army worms in people's home lawns. Gosh, and this is a guy, you know, I mean, just a regular-looking little caterpillar. could be an inch, inch and a half in length, and they can eat, I read, like a one caterpillar can eat maybe like a four-by-six, you know, area, like index card size of lawn just by themselves and not a little bit bigger. So this is the thing people are seeing happening, especially in Bermuda lawns, but not contained to just that. We're like two, three days go by and literally your yard looks dead. So what are we looking for, Mary Carol, to try to get ahead of this as we start to see it? It's a good idea to kind of scout your lawn. And if you see kind of patches developing that look a little yellow, that might be an indication that you could have some army worms. Another really good indication would be if you see a lot of birds out on your lawn and they seem to be feasting. That might be an indication that you have some army worms. Birds probably can't really make a dent in a, a big population of army worms, but they are a good indicator that they, they could be there. 
um, that there's a trick you can use to kind of check and see, Ooh. and it's a really easy trick. Okay. You just get like a one or two gallon bucket and some dishwashing liquid, mix up a couple of tablespoons of dishwashing liquid in water, and pour the water over about a square foot of your lawn. And if there are army worms in the area that you're testing, they will rise to the surface very quickly. They do not like that soapy water, and you'll see them. Interesting. That's a good catch. And I mean, what, from what I've read, Mary Carol, and correct me if I'm wrong, they're going to be feasting during the day, maybe a little bit of the cooler part of the day, whether it's, you know, before lunchtime or maybe going into dusk. But this is a worm that we can actually see, right? It's not so tiny that you can't see it. Right. They get to be about an inch, an inch and a half long. They're pretty easy to see. They have um, some stripes that are pretty indicative down their back. And if you get, if you can pick one up and look close enough at it, you'll even see like an inverted Y shape on their head. So they're really easy to identify. And I remember you said recently you had done a project or something at a vineyard, you know, out in that area. And you said mm-hmm. that you walked away and saw them right there, right at your feet. Right, I just like looked down and there was an army worm, so I just picked it up and brought it back so I'd have a sample to show people. How's he doing? Is he still alive? Oh, no. Okay. (laughs) Well, good. I think the general population is grateful for that. I always feel good when I kill a cockroach. There's tens of millions of them, but I'm like, I killed one. There's one less in the world. It makes me feel so satisfied. Um, So these guys, they're pretty voracious, and so we've got to get to them early. Give us some tips on some of the pesticides that are probably going to be most effective on army worms. In a home lawn, one of the safest ones you could use is spinosad. It's an organic one. I think it comes under the Captain Jack's label um, and some other labels as well. It's it's an organic pesticide that will work to help control them. Um, You can also use the pyrethroid insecticides. Those are good options, and there's a lot of those. Um, you can use acetate. I believe you, do, you can even use Bacillus thuringiensis, oh. if you can say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah BT. <laughs> BT. Yeah, right. but you have to catch them small if you're going to use BT because um, it's more effective on small. And really, all of the insecticides will be more effective the quicker you catch them. And now this and is like, all like that. I mean, it becomes a moth, right? This caterpillar's hanging right. out. That's really when we need to get it. But then once it becomes a moth and starts flying around, then it's going to lay more eggs and you're like just trying to play catch up. It is. And so you've got a scout. And if you've had um, an infestation of army worms already, you might want to scout in about, you know, two or three weeks because they're going to, the moths are going to emerge after um, the caterpillars, you know, burrow down, pupate. Um, moths going to emerge. And what's going to happen is as they emerge, they're going to go lay those eggs. And They could move to your neighbor's yard or they could come back to your yard. So you kind of want to scout it out maybe about three weeks um, after you've seen them and just kind of keep your eye out to see if you have signs or if you notice any more caterpillars. And you can treat again. Um, The good news is that probably it's going to get too cold for them pretty quickly into October. uh, And they don't overwinter here. They, our cold winters kill them. It takes them till August or September usually to get here because they overwinter in hmm. Florida. And they're coming up on, you know, the currents of storms and wind and just working their way up, um, you know, a yard or a field at a time. Hmm. I always like for homeowners to know that typically if you see damage, 
even if you don't catch them and treat them, it's probably just aesthetic damage for a minute. It's like they mowed your lawn down. They could have, you know, made your lawn a little more stressed out. If there are other factors at play that are stressing your lawn out, it could be bad, but a lot of times Bermuda will bounce back from it pretty easily. That was my next question. So I'm so glad you shared that good news. Yeah, that does not mean that your Bermuda is completely dead. You know, it's still going to go through dormancy, emerge next spring just fine. But those those really good, the best uh, management practices of a healthy lawn, you know, keeping it watered regularly an inch a week, regular fertilization, do pre-emergent, you know, at the right times in the spring and in the fall. The tougher the lawn, Mary Carol, wouldn't you say, it is able to bounce back and really fight diseases and insects oftentimes, right? Exactly, yes. If, if you have a healthy lawn, it's going to bounce back pretty quickly from an armyworm infestation. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me um, with the rainfall that we have, if somebody's had an armyworm infestation, if they're already starting to see green blades show back up. See, folks like Mary Carol Sheffield here, the Extension Coordinator out in Paulding County, you've got one in your county where you live as well, folks. So, Mary Carol, how can folks get in touch with their local Extension office? So you can look us up online at ugaextension.org, and you can find your county there. Um, You can also call 1-800-ASK-UGA-1. This has been such a good conversation and a timely one at that. I really appreciate your expertise, Mary Carol, on this. And I think folks are breathing a sigh of relief now. Like, yes, it's bad, but it's not that bad. So just get ahead of it. Right. Take good care of the folks out there in Paulding County. Thanks, Ashley. All right, we'll be right back. You're listening to 95.5 WSB. Scott Slade here on your WSB Weekend. Enjoy green and growing with Ashley Frasca and Dave Baker's Home Fix-It this morning on 95.5 WSB. The WSB News team, meteorologist Kirk Mellish and I, will be here Monday morning with Atlanta's Morning News. Here's Ashley. The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. You know, it's really important to promote the good work that the University of Georgia and the Extension Office does. My thanks to Mary Carroll there in Paulding County. If you want to find out more about army worms, Google Extension Publications Army Worm. You'll come up with states that are really having some issues, not just Georgia. Tennessee's written some good publications, Mississippi State, and also the University of Maine. Yeah, they're there too. Keep that in mind if you need additional resources. Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. You heard Walter and I talk about it last Saturday. Pre-emergent timing, guys. Cool season annual weeds. They germinate with the first cold front and rain maybe in September. Annual grasses include annual bluegrass, poa annua, rescue grass, ryegrass, And a fall application prevents winter weeds such as those in henbit and chickweed. Once they germinate and they start growing, you can't eliminate them. So you've blown it for another year. Pre-emergent granules kill the germinating seeds before they can establish. So this is really your only option to get to it. Do it now before they start to germinate. Some common products, and you heard Walter mention them by name last Saturday. Dimension and halts are just two of the ones you could find. Number two, plant peonies now and make sure the crowns are buried only an inch and a half to two inches below ground level. The deeper planting keeps the plants from blooming. And remember, they like the full sun, hopefully morning sun. That's an ideal place to put them. Loose, well-drained soils. And number three, cleaning up around fruit trees. That's crucial now because weeds and debris, they act as hosts to overwintering insects. So you want to rake up the debris, mulch really well, keep mulch, 
just below the tree's root flare. That applies to any tree. Check around the base of the fruit trees and look for gummy or jelly-like sap mixed with the grass at the base of the trunk. That's going to be an uh-oh. All right. It's been a fun Saturday together, but go on. Get on with your holiday weekend. Dave Baker's up next in the Home Fix-It show. Have a great Labor Day weekend. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.